so, Peter really did it. He really walked on the water. He really did it. Um, there were 10,000 reasons not to do it. Just like you and I have probably some good reasons for not obeying the Lord in certain areas of our lives. But why did he do it? It's very simple. Do you remember the text? They were in the middle of the storm. And here comes Jesus. He's walking on the water, right? And Peter initiated the conversation. The Lord, the Lord didn't start this conversation. Peter initiated it. He said, Lord, if that's you, what? Bid me come. If that's you, bid me come. And what did Jesus say? You know what he said, right? One of my favorite texts. Come. He will always say this. And so I'm just going to start right here. This is what you need to be praying on a regular basis to the Lord. Bid me come. Because he will always say the same thing. It's exactly what he said to Peter. Jesus will say, come. He will say, come. So Peter got out of the boat in the middle of a churning sea. And he walked on water. Of course it was impossible. Of course it didn't add up. Of course it made no sense. But the difference was what? Well, why did we sing... Great is your faithfulness. I know some of you may have thought, well, wait a minute. We're talking, about, we're talking about human faith here. Why are we talking about God's faithfulness? Because human faith is built upon the faithfulness of God from a biblical perspective. There's no such thing as Christian faith if God's not a faithful God. But He is a faithful God. It's why Hebrews 11 is in the Bible. He is a faithful God. You guys know it, right? Um, it's about, uh, well, we read it, didn't we? It's about uh, Cain, Abel. It's about Enoch. It's about Noah. It's about, it's about um, Moses. It's about David, Gideon, many others. But who's the main character? God's the main character. <laughs> God's the main character of Hebrews 11. The faith chapter. Okay? I think most of you probably are familiar with Hebrews 11. It's the faith chapter. This is what it's called. God is going to define faith for us, then He will illustrate it for us. There are 16 named illustrations. So if you walked in here and you're a little confused about what God means when He talks about faith, uh, over the next few weeks, there'll be no confusion because God is not only going to define it, He's going to illustrate it. This is what God means when He talks about faith. And Peter's real life experience with Jesus is the perfect metaphor for every true believer. It's Peter's desire, is your desire, if you know Christ Jesus tonight, it's your desire to be where He is. It's your desire to be in uh, intimate fellowship with Him. Even if He's out on the water, even if he's out there where I know I can't go lest he bid me come. I know I can't go out there. It's not on my resume to go out there. I can't do that lest he bid me come. But if he bids me come, <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. Again, why did we sing great is your faithfulness? 
Because He is our liberty. He is our license to radically walk with Christ. Because He's a faithful God. Our faith is alive and well. It's proclaiming Christ in the world because God is faithful. That's why we sang that song. So let me ask you, are you willing to, are you willing to pray the prayer? Lord Jesus, bid me come. Are you willing to pray it? I, I'm, I'm serious. Are you willing to pray that prayer and take your hands off of it? Whatever you have, Father, whatever you have for me, whatever you bring, it's okay with me. If, it's, if, if I'm going to have to go through the middle of a storm, it's okay with me. As long as you're with me. Bid me come. Bid me come deeper. I want to know you more, right? This is the heartbeat of true Christianity. One thing I did want to say to you, we already know this. Most of you, I, I'm sure that, you know, impossible is no thing to Jesus. It's, uh, it's, it's no thing. An impossibility is no thing to Christ. There are no impossibilities with the Lord. We understand that walking with Jesus always takes us beyond the common sense life. Jesus will always take us outside the box. You guys know Hebrews 11, 6. We'll talk about it next week. It's the verse God used to change my life. Among many, but this is one of the central verses. And what does Hebrews eleven six say? We must not only believe that God is, we must believe that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And this has been my experience. Everybody that professes to be a Christian, they believe God is. And really, most of the thinking world out there believes that God is. There has to be an adequate first cause, as, you, as I often say. There has to be one. Most of humanity believes that God is. Jehovah demands that you believe He's good. This is part of faith. And you won't live faith out there unless you actually believe He's good. Unless you actually believe He's a rewarding God. Unless you believe that if you seek Him, He'll meet you, right? Unless you believe that, you're just going to be a churchgoer. You're going to be no more than a churchgoer. God means for you to go out there and proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ. You're not going to do that in this cultural milieu, are you? Unless, you, unless you, your sights are set larger than, you know, getting by. Than simply getting by and pleasing, being a man pleaser. God will pull you past your comfort zone. He always does. He always will. It's just part of being a Christian. As we often say, you can be a church member without real faith, but you can't go with Christ. We talked a little bit about it a couple weeks ago, right? Satan's orthodox. You can be orthodox. That doesn't mean you can walk with Christ in the world. You really need to believe <laughs> that he's God and that he is good and I'm just going to say it to you. I'm an old man. been around the block. I know a few things. I've experienced a few things. God's going to call you out of your comfort zone. If it hasn't happened, it will happen. And then you'll have to decide, 
whether you actually believe he's good. Oswald Chambers, uh, 19th century English minister, says it like this, one of my favorite quotes. Um, Faithfulness to Jesus means I have to step out where I do not see. Faith is not intelligent understanding. Faith is a deliberate commitment to a person, right? Where I can see no way forward. He asks, are you debating whether to take a step of faith in Jesus or to wait until you can see how to do the thing yourself, right? (laughs) This is what my dad advised me. Jim, going to Italy on faith, this is not wise. He's a good man. He was a good man. He's just not wise. But it's like I tell you, the, those of you who I've spoken with about some of these things, you can never explain a call to someone who doesn't have the call. They, don't, they can't understand it. They don't, they don't have the call. But you, Jesus is going to take you out to where you can't do the thing yourself. And then he says this, favorite, my most, one of my most favorite things that a man who's not writing scripture wrote. Obey him with glad, reckless joy. Obey Yahweh with glad, reckless joy. Can you say that you're guilty? Can you say you're guilty of obeying Jesus Christ with glad, reckless joy? Can I say? It'll be the most fun you've ever had. It'll be the most fun that you have ever had. Um... I think your average church member hears obey Christ with glad, reckless joy, and I think they recoil a little bit. I think it sounds a little bit frightening. You know, it's been my experience that most people try to live in, in the box they think they can manage and control. And, and all I want to say to you is, God, if you're His, God will destroy that illusion. One, you're not in control. It's, it's, it's an illusion. You're not in control. But I don't want you to recoil at this. I want you to embrace Hebrews 11. The born-again Christian embraces it. It's what we were created and redeemed to do, to live Hebrews 11. And if you're not familiar with it, study it the next few weeks as we work through the chapter Jesus Christ is good. He is God and He is good. If that's true, why would you ever hesitate? If you, if you believe He's God and you believe He's good, why would you ever hesitate to radically obey Him? Why would you ever hesitate to proclaim Him in front of your friends and colleagues and neighbors? What would be the cause of hesitation if He's God and He's good? And he said, you know, why are we here? I always bring this up. Why are we here, you know, so you can have a great life and a great family and a great job and a great retirement? That's why we're here. Of course, that's no, that's not why we're here. Why are we here? What did Jesus say at the end of the, uh, the book of Matthew? That you might sow the good seed, that we would be part of the Great Commission, telling people about Jesus Christ. If we call ourselves Christians... Our lives are meant to be a very long, very clear, very loud commentary on God's godness and God's goodness. Our lives are meant to shout, there's no God like my God. 
And, you know, again, in every sphere of your life, not just on Sunday, but in every sphere of your life, this is the ambiance. This is the aroma. This is the fragrance coming off of your life. And people must ask you, what is this hope that is within you? Well, my God is God and my God is good. <laughs> what else do you need to know? You know, if we just had that one verse, right? You just had this one verse. My God is God and my God is good. You're free. Aren't, are we not free <laughs> with just one verse? Are we not liberated? You know, the chains fall off, right? The chains fall off. So what are we talking about here? Is what does real faith look like in the true believer's life? John Gerstner was a famous uh, American theologian. He's deceased now, but he said something once, and I never forgot, forgot it. He says, faith is so vital, obviously, in the Christian church. We understand this. He says, faith is so vital, so crucial that there are many counterfeits. And there are counterfeits on every corner. Well, you can't find a Christian church on every corner in Italy. But where I grew up, I grew up in the Bible Belt. There's a church on every corner. Right? And you can find whatever flavor you want. You know, whatever flavor you want. Uh, it's available. You don't have to look very hard. I love what he says. Faith is so crucial. It's so vital. There are many counterfeits, of course. Satan is good at his job. There are many counterfeits. And as we've talked about the last few weeks with respect to James chapter 2, the demons believe. They believe. And there are a lot of people who say they believe. But what's Jesus going to say to them on the last day? They never loved him. They never obeyed him. What, what is he going to say? I don't know who you are. They're going to say to him, we did all manner of miracles and wonderful works in your name, right? They claim to be his. He said, I don't know who you are. So my point is, there are many counterfeits. What we're doing as we look at James chapter 2 and Hebrews 11, we're looking at God's definition of what saving faith looks like. We are awash in counterfeit Gospels, sadly, in these last days. You know, there's this kind of cultural concept of Christianity that if you say you believe in Jesus, then you have license to live any way you want. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about it. Uh, Let us sin all the more that grace may abound. And there are people who actually think that has something to do with Christianity. I have, I have license to sin, right? Because I believe some facts. Obviously, this is a grievous error. So what does faith look like? God's going to tell us in Hebrews 11. Um, doesn't matter what the Catholics say or the Orthodox say or the cotton candy Protestants say. Doesn't really matter what anybody says. Only thing that matters is what God says. And he makes it real clear in Hebrews what real faith is and what it looks like and how it spills out into the life, right? How it aggressively spills out into the life. I said this to you last week or the week before. It is almost impossible to hold it in. 
If, if it's really going on in here, you, you almost can't hold it in, right? There's just too much kinetic energy involved. Maybe that's the wrong word. Hebrews 11, God is going to define faith. And then so religious professionals like me can't dump it down. He gives 16 named illustrations. Basically, God is saying, this is what your life should look like. It doesn't mean we're going to live the life of Moses or Joseph or David. That's not what it means. But our life is going to have the same aroma as those guys and Rahab. It's going to have the same aroma. You're going to smell like God. Your life's going to smell like God is God and God is good. That's what your life's going to smell like. That's what it's going to smell like. So Hebrews 11, big deal. It's a big deal for us. Some of you have heard me quote this before. Francis Chan, famous preacher in the States. Don't know if he said anything heretical. Hope he hasn't. I haven't read him lately. He said, there's something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Don't you love that? There's something wrong when our lives, we're called to Hebrews 11, a Hebrews 11 life, when our lives make sense to unbelievers. There's something wrong. I think that's beautiful. I think it's challenging. And I think it's beautiful. Our lives are to be a vivid commentary on what we believe about Yahweh. And so, I don't think I have to say this, but I will. Understanding how God defines and illustrates faith, it matters a lot. You really need to know what God says about faith. And as we talked about two, two weeks ago or so, it's not just believing facts. Demons believe facts. So, here we are. Hebrews 11. And I want to say this. <laughs> it not only matters today what you think about faith. And, and you know why? It, 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 it's not just that it matters today. It matters on the far side of eternity. I said it last week, right? We're all going to be dead real soon. And then there's eternity. Have you prepared for eternity? Are you ready for eternity? You get your 79.6 years that's me. I'm an American male. I get 79.6. Okay? So I get my 79.6, God willing. But, but what about eternity? Um, God is going to tell us, Hebrews 11. This is what it looks like when you're ready for eternity. This is what it looks like. Okay? This is what it will look like. So let's, uh, let's look here. Let's look at the first three verses. I'll read it again. Now, faith is the substance. Of, this is out of the King James. Some of you, if you're looking at NAS, which is what I normally preach out of, I've, I've switched over to the New King James for that first verse because it gives the best, in my view, the best uh, translation. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. There it is right there. We wouldn't have to say much else. By what? By faith men gained approval. It's not by works. We've made this clear the last three weeks. It's not by works. You can't work yourself into pleasing God. You can't do it. It's impossible. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that 
What is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So, faith is the substance of things hoped for. How is faith substance? Go to a Greek lexicon. Here's what you'll find. This Greek word translated substance. It's a thing put under. It's a substructure. It's a foundation. It's that which has foundation. It's that which is firm, that which is real, that which is actual, that which has substance. So what's the word picture for us? I already said it. It's right in the definition. When you look at a building, what do you not see but you know is there? A foundation, of course. That's what's being said to us. Without the foundation, there would be no building. This is a very simple message. God is the foundation of all that is seen. Again, thinking people. Thinking people. There has to be an adequate first cause. And of course, as Bible believers, we know exactly who that is. Biblical faith knows the foundation is there. We know God is there. His fingerprints are everywhere. To not believe that that an infinite intellect, an eternal being, created all that you see is to simply, it, it's, it's not to deny the truth, it's to suppress it. Romans 1 tells us that every man knows and every man understands because it's, it's, it's clearly seen. The, the genius of God is clearly seen in the created order. So it's, it's, what it is, it's a premeditated attempt to, to suppress truth. It's warring against the truth which is what we see in the culture at large, right? Man, mankind warring with God and the truth of God at every turn, sexually, politically, financially, psychologically, people warring against the truth of God in every single realm. And I, I want to make clear, this faith... This faith, it's the Ephesians 2.8 kind of faith, which is what? The gift from God. It's, it's the gift of God kind of faith. It's not faith that I've ginned up in my, in my, uh, in my own mind and in my own heart. It's, it's a gift of God. This is the kind of faith that we're talking about. So, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Again, God's invisible attributes are understood by what we see. Again, if we're thinking people. The second phrase there is evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. How is faith evidence? Very much like the fact that faith is substance. I looked up the Greek word. You can do it for yourself. It means a proof. That by which a thing is proved or tested. And then in verse 3, we see it, right? We see that God is there. Again, thinking people see that God must be there. What does he say in verse 3? We understand. We don't postulate. We don't theorize. We understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So what's the implication? If that's true, the implication is I'm accountable to this God. I'm accountable to this God. I am his intellectual software. I'm his, yeah, I'm his intellectual property. I'm the, I'm the, uh, the clay here. And he's the potter. 
This is the unavoidable implication, again, for those who are employing the mind that God has given. We understand that God did it. And I, I, some I heard some theologians say this, and I'm going to, I don't even know who it was now. But he says, we have present tense evidence, okay? Of course, if you can rub two thoughts together, you have, a pre you have present tense evidence. You can look at the, the, the genius of the body that you, you inhabit. You look at the genius of, of the cosmos and, and, and the earth and how it works and how God sustains us on this little blue dot, right? I mean, all this stuff, you could, I could just go on and on. But God's created order is present tense evidence for a God-promised future. I love that. Present tense evidence for a God-promised future. I love that. So we can have full confidence in all that God has promised. So we know people believe in, in uh, a cause. We know people out there believe in causeless universes. They'll tell you. They'll actually say it and be serious. They're, they're actually serious that it was causeless. It just happened. One, time, one day there was nothing, and the next day, if it, we can call it days, there was everything. Um, on its way to becoming what we have now. It's illogical. It's irrational. It's, yes, impossible. Spontaneous, random, macro-Darwinian events. They don't happen. <laughs> they don't happen. Again, I like what C.S. Lewis says about this. The cosmos is a message. Don't you love that? The cosmos. Your body is a message. Your mind is a message. Your spiritual inclination is a message. The cosmos is a message. I am here and I am good, right? That's the message. That's God's message. And God help you if you ignore it. You will be guilty. You will be guilty before Yahweh if you ignore the testimony of the created order. You'll be guilty. You will be guilty. You guys know what, I think it's David, Psalm 19. The heavens are what? Telling of what? The glory of God. Okay, say, Jim, I've never seen the glory of God. Okay, here's what you do. You drive out of the city, you get into a really dark area on a, sunny, uh, on a starry night, and you look up. And you realize that all the movements and, and, and all the power and all the, the, the mass and all the physics... It came from nothing. Or there's a breathtaking creator out there. I mean, again, this is not too difficult. I love what John Piper calls Psalm 19, 1 and 2, sky sermons. <laughs> These are sky sermons. So God is necessary. If you're not convinced, I, 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 listen, I'll give you the book. I, I'm not trying to sell books, but if you're not convinced, um, um, just, I've got a book I'd love for you to read. Um, and there are hundreds of good books you can read that make Yahweh evident, not only necessary, but evident.
So God spoke it all into existence. Yes, I will trust this God. I'll trust this God. Bid me come. I trust him. Bid me come. I trust him. He obviously has infinite power. I'll trust this God. I'll, I'll, I'll ask this God to bid me come. It's why he's talking about the created order in the book of Hebrews, right? In the faith chapter. It's why he's doing it. It's why he is doing it. Biblical faith is not a blind faith. It's not a wishing, dreaming, hoping, Pollyanna kind of deal. I see the fingerprints of God everywhere I turn. It's not hard for me to pursue Him and seek Him and find Him and know Him. You guys know Colossians 1.16. All things were created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. By and for. He is the unseen foundation of all things. Biblically literate Christians do not have faith, and I want you to hear this, they don't have faith in their faith. Now, you know, you run into some charismatics and they've got faith in their faith. They have faith in their faith. This is wrong. If you, if you have faith in your faith, the Lord will blow that paradigm up. You're to have faith in God. Period. Faith in God. Faith in Jehovah, faith in Yahweh, faith in Jesus Christ. Do not have faith in your faith. You must have faith in God. Your faith is, your faith is less than zero. It's less than zero. Lest God be faithful, right? And He is faithful. He is faithful. I just want to warn you. Don't trust in your faith. You trust in God. If you're confused about that, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. The object of our faith is not our faith. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. This is what I want to try to communicate. Again, if I've confused you, we can talk about it. Again, what I want to say is God is the main character in this chapter. A lot of folks are listed, but He is the main character. Um, Jesus is the substance of things hoped for. It's why Peter got out of the boat. Jesus is the evidence of things not seen. It's why Peter got out of the boat. And it's why I'm calling you, right? To radically obey the Lord out in the world. Famous theologian in the 17th century, Richard Sibbs, said, uh, believers see invisible things. I love that. We, we see invisible things, right? We know that the Lord can do whatever He pleases, as He says in the Psalms. Again, God often uses the created order to display, shall we say, His competence or His power, um, His bona fides, you guys know when he came to Job, what did he appeal to? What did, what did God appeal to when he, when he came to Job? <laughs> he, appealed to the created, he appealed to the created order. Can't you see, Job, what a great God I am? And he put Job in his place, right? Put him right in his place. Asked Job 70 questions, Job couldn't answer one of them. I think we talked about Job a few months ago. 
Um, God does this on occasion. The point, obviously, is that God is infinitely and incomprehensibly above us. It's why God's talking about the creation in the faith chapter. He wants you to realize that, yes, He spoke two trillion galaxies into existence and He upholds those galaxies. That is the same power He will bring to bear in your life when you, when you obey Him. I don't know. Honestly, I'm not sure how people who read their Bibles... How, how can you not? I mean... How can you not want to radically obey Christ? I, I, don't, I don't understand it. He's God. He's good. It's not hard. Christianity's not hard. Obey, right? Obey. You got 70. You may be more fortunate than me. I know all the women are. You got 79.6 years. What are you going to do? I pray that you agree with me that it would be good to make much of Jesus. Verse 2, the men of old gained approval by this, by faith. Again, we've talked about it the last three weeks. We are not saved by works. Nobody's saved by works. No one's saved by moralism. No one's saved by religion. No one is saved by a prayer. No one is saved by a sacrament. No one is saved by an ordinance. We are saved by grace through faith. Yes, some of those things we do in obedience, they're good things. They're biblical things. We should do them. But they're evidence that salvation has occurred. <laughs> right? They're evidence that salvation has occurred. That's what the Bible is teaching us. Verse 4. It was by faith that Abel was considered righteous. And I love that. He still speaks. His life still speaks. I love this. I mean, your life will echo in eternity. I've used this illustration before. You'll sit under a tree in the new heaven and new earth. You'll sit under a tree. You guys will talk about, we'll talk about, the things that, that the faithfulness of God in our lives, right? And Jesus might even say something like, I remember that time. <laughs> I remember that time. He might say it to Peter. I remember that time you got out of the boat. I remember. You really loved me that day. And you showed it. You wanted me above all things that day. And the whole world knows it. Because it's been recorded in the scripture. I don't know if Jesus will do that, but it sounds like something he might do. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. No Christian can boast. Again, it's all by grace through faith. And it was the faith of these men and women because they believed in this awesome God that drove them to these amazing lives that we will witness in the coming weeks. I want to say it this way. We do not do works to be saved. Why do we do works? Tell me. Why do we do works? Because we 
huge difference. Heaven and hell. The demarcation of heaven and hell is right here. Some people believe they're doing things and they're getting saved by it. This is blasphemous to the biblical God. We don't, we don't engage in good works to be saved. We engage in good works because we are. We don't become disciples to be saved. We become, dis we become disciples simply because we already are. Because we've already started to obey the Lord, right? That's not why we're saved. It's the fruit of salvation. You know what we saw in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22. Hearing without word doing is self-delusion. Talking without word doing is useless, James 2.20. And a do-nothing faith is dead, as James told us in James 2.17. And I just got to say it again, that great Eugene Peterson paraphrase, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Yes, it's outrageous nonsense. It's outrageous nonsense. And Hebrews 11 is going to reveal that to us. As James 2 is a warning about a pseudo kind of faith, a false, useless, damning kind of faith, the book of Hebrews is peppered with warnings about a faith that does not mature or persevere. I read through the book this morning, very short book, very easy to read through, I think it's 13 chapters. You'll find warning after warning after warning after warning. Mature, persevere, finish. I'll read one to you, Hebrews 4.2. We have good news preached to us, as did the Old Testament Jews, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united with faith. Beloved, you're supposed to be word doers. You're supposed to be word doers. I'll give you one more. Hebrews 5, 9. He became to all those who obey him, that's Jesus, the source of eternal salvation. Again, obedience flows out. Obedience flows out. It's what... God is going to show us in Hebrews 11. It flows out of the life. It's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. You know, I've been using that wind analogy, which um, is perfect. You don't see the wind, but you always feel the wind. You feel the effect of the wind. And if the wind is blowing, the, the Spirit of God is blowing through your life, everyone in your life will feel the breeze. Someone like Peter, who has come into relationship with Jesus Christ, you would fully expect him to say, Bid me come. You would just fully expect him to say this, right? You would fully expect it. It's what I expect from you. It's what I expect from me. Lord Jesus, bid me come. Again, you only get your 79.6. What are you going to do with your 79.6? Well, I'm going to have a good career and I'm going to have a good family and I'm going to have a good retirement. 
I hope you think bigger than that. I pray that you think bigger than that. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. That can be a great blessing from God. But it has to be under the umbrella of God's godness and God's goodness and I'm available to be used up for His good pleasure, right? If we are saved by God-given faith, you know, the Ephesians 2.8 faith, our life will be full of God-empowered acts. It's what the Lord is illustrating to us in Hebrews 11. So why did Peter get out of the boat? Tell me, why did he get out? Anybody? Anybody want to say anything? Any idea? Why did he get out? He wanted to! He wanted to get out! That's why he got out. Because the Lord Jesus said, come on if you want to. If you want to bad enough, come on out here with me. And bam, he was out of that boat. My question to you and to me, do you want to be with Jesus like that? Does it mean that much to you? That your hands are open with him, right? Your hands are open. Bid me come, Lord, whatever it looks like. Whatever it looks like. It doesn't matter to me. I know I only got my 79.6. I, I know I only got 79.6. So please use me up for 79.6. Because I know on the last day, all that's going to matter is what's going on between me and you. That's all that's going to matter. Not how big my portfolio was. Right? Not how big, not how prestigious my career was, not how famous I was. The only thing that's going to matter on the last day is what's been going on between you and me. And either I was a Hebrews 11 kind of guy or I wasn't, right? <laughs> There's no middle ground here. There is no middle ground. So I would just simply ask. Do you have Peter's desire? Do you want to get outside of the box? Do you want to live outside the cultural conformity? Jesus Christ was the foundation of Peter's outrageous notion that he could walk on the water. So don't pray Peter's prayer unless you mean it. Because Jesus will say... <laughs> Jesus will say, come. But I, I want to exhort you, get to the place where you can mean it. If you're not there tonight, okay. My homework for you is to get to the place where you can mean it, where you can pray Peter's prayer. Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And be ready, be ready to go. I'm done. Jesus says, come, I love this. Jesus says, come and see how awesome I am. These men and women, they saw it firsthand. They saw it firsthand. And then he says this, and this is between the lines. Come and see who you're supposed to be. Right?
Come and see how awesome I am. Come and see who you're supposed to be. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Discovering just how awesome God is and discovering what He has redeemed us to be. Will you pray the prayer? Will you obey the Lord? We're going to have a couple of weeks of looking at at faith, looking at some, some men and women who will encourage us in this regard, right? And one thing I want to say, I'm done. One thing I want to say. Your life matters. If you call yourself a Christian, if you, if you call yourself, your life matters. It matters how you live. It matters what you do out there. It matters. It ripples eternity. God's going to use you in a mighty way. You say, Jim, I'm just this, I'm just that. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter what you do. What matters is, are you walking with Christ? That's what matters. On the last day, that's all that's going to matter. So what's been going on between you and Him on a daily basis. I love Hebrews 11. It's going to be a lot of fun. So buckle up your chin strap and uh, we'll get deeper into it next time. Let's pray together.